0: a bit challenging to talk about optical illusions during an audio podcast, but chances are we're familiar with at least one, which is the perception-bending optical illusion involving a pair of lines of equal length. One is framed by open fins at each end. It's, it's sort of like the back end of an arrow, and the other is framed by closed fins, sort of like the pointy end of the arrow. Though the lines themselves are the same, Because how they're framed, one appears actually longer than the other. New research published in the journal, Psychological Science, reveals how, in specific circumstances, hand gestures can alter our perceptions, causing the illusion to collapse. I'm Charles Blue with the Association for Psychological Science, and you're listening to Under the Cortex. To tell us more about the compelling interplay between gestures and illusions, I have with me Dr. Susan Golden-Meadow, A professor of psychology and co-director of the Center of Gesture, Sign, and Language with the University of Chicago. Welcome to Under the Cortex.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's not so easy to talk about gesture on an audio presentation either.
0: We'll do our best and I'll see if I can include an image when I actually do get this posted. Okay. (laughs) So you have been studying how illusions and gestures intersect in the human mind can you tell us, what were you trying to find out?
1: The place where I'm interested is sort of what's the mechanism underlying gesture, like what leads to gesture. And some people have hypothesized that they grow out of action. And some gestures might, other gestures might not. If I'm representing a shape or if I'm doing a metaphorical thing, like on the one hand or on the other hand, that doesn't feel necessarily very actiony. Um, Those might function in a different way. The mechanism might be different. We're just at the very beginning of understanding what's going on in why we gesture and how we gesture. So I have for a long time been very intrigued by this illusion phenomenon because it's a very compelling illusion. If you try it for yourself, you will absolutely swear that the lines are of different length. But it had been found quite a number of years ago, that if you go to grab the two sticks, your hands will be pretty accurate. So your hands really aren't deceived by the illusion. You don't see the illusion when you go to grab. Okay. So my question is, what would happen if you weren't grabbing that stick, but if you were using your hands to talk about the stick? So what we did was we took people and we replicated the psychophysical study. We had them estimate with their hands or we had them grab at it. And then we had a third condition in which we had them just describe a movement on that stick. And we looked at the shape or the distance between their thumb and their fingers to see if it was affected by the illusion. And we found that it was much less affected by the illusion than when you're estimating it with your two fingers. So it looks more like the gesture is coming out of action than it is tied to speech.
0: And Just so I can get this better in my mind, how long are these lines or sticks we're talking about? Is this something where I'm going to be arm length apart or just matter of inches?
1: Okay, matter of inches. We had four different lengths, sort of small, medium, a little bit larger, and then large where it would be your thumb and your finger uh, spread apart. And so what's of interest is that the gestures were not bad at capturing the length of the sticks as they got bigger. And that's true in all of the conditions. I should include um, the fact that we not only looked at hearing people speaking English and the gestures that they spontaneously produced, but we also included signers who produce American Sign Language because their gestures are codified. They're not, they can't just create it on the spot. So we thought, you know, gestures on the spot might be really different from Real signs. Um, But we found that the signers and the speakers looked very much the same with respect to their hand
0: distances. So, were these findings sort of in line with what you were expecting, or was this a result that was really out of the blue?
1: I didn't know the answer to this question, which is why it was an interesting study to do. Um, In one sense, because gestures are so tied to speech, I thought, well, of course, the gestures will be affected by the illusion. On the other hand, gestures really are an action, a hand action, so maybe they wouldn't. And it was the, the sort of juxtaposition of those two very different ideas and those two possibilities that intrigued me. My hunch, I was predicting that it would look more like estimations because gesture and speech are so tied. And when you just say whether you which stick or, or talk about the size of the sticks, you are very captured by the illusion. So I was surprised by this.
0: Let's talk just a moment about optical illusions in and of themselves. Have you looked at anything else other than this classic stick length?
1: Right. No, we haven't. There are many, many, many illusions. Um, There's one uh, where you put a little circle and then you have different circles of different sizes around it. And that inner circle either looks bigger or smaller as a function of the size of the circles around it. I think that's called the Ebbinghaus illusion. We initially started with that, but it was harder to get a measurement on the little circle. So we didn't do that. These studies, I'm not a psychophysicist. And so replicating this, just getting the the initial phenomenon down took us a long time. I think it'd be great to do this again and to do it with another illusion. I think that would be very interesting. They're very, very compelling. You know, they're they're in every single Psych 1 text. And we show them to the students because we show them that, oh, look, you are, you would swear that these two sticks are, are different lengths and they're really not. So you're, you are being deceived, even though you're convinced of the real world. So that's why they're interesting to people. I think the big phenomenon that people found a number of years ago is that your hands aren't deceived when they go to grab it. Why shouldn't they be? You know, you're the same person. So it suggests that when you're using your hands to prepare to act, it's different from using your hands to estimate. So it it just suggests that your eyes are seeing in a different way when hands are involved in an active way. And, And my question was whether hands are active when you gesture.
0: One of my initial thoughts when reading over this study was that there might have been a difference in culture and language because certain cultures are very gesture heavy in the way they communicate language while others not so much. But then you mentioned that the difference didn't exist for a gesture language, American Sign Language. So is it possible there could be differences in culture and language that would change the way that the gesture is used in estimation?
1: Okay, so let's let's back up a minute. I mean, sign language isn't a gesture language. It's a language that's produced with the hands. It is categorical and a language just like any other language. But, you know, we do have some evidence that signers gesture so they can manipulate and modulate their signs in a gestury kind of way. But your question, I think, still stands about culture. There are, however, a couple of caveats. You know, everybody says, well, Italians gesture a lot and Americans don't, northern Europeans don't. But when it's actually been looked at, the difference really is not so much of rate in rate, but more in the size of your gestures. So Italians gesture big, they're out there, whereas Swedes gesture much smaller and close to the chest. The other thing that Italians do have more of are these emblems. It's a conventional gesture. Big or okay, or thumbs up, or whatever. Um, Everybody knows what you mean when you hold up your hands in that way. So, these cultures have more emblems um, than we do. So, there aren't as many big cultural differences as you might think. However, it still might be a difference, a cultural difference. And I think that would be very interesting to look at. You know, I don't know that there's a big cross cultural literature on illusions. The assumption is that eyes are the same the world over. But we could look at these cross-cultural phenomena and see if there are differences. There certainly are differences across cultures in gesture as a function of the language that's spoken. So there might be differences in this.
0: And of course, we have to consider now that with the culture of Zoom meetings and us doing this remotely, People may still be using these gestures, even though there's no one there obviously seeing them. Or I was actually forcing myself to raise my hands higher than I normally would have gestured so you could see it. And so I was doing that for your benefit, even though technically it's helping me communicate.
1: Well, it could be helping me too. I think it does help the listener. Absolutely, it helps the listener. But whether, we, we are, whether we're we whether as conscious as you are as a speaker, that it might help the listener, that's probably a matter of individual differences. But I find myself doing exactly the same thing. I often watch myself to make sure that my hands are in the box so that people can see the gestures that I'm making. But I think that's that's an unusual speaker. So what Zoom is doing is cutting out gesture. And I think that matters actually, because there's lots and lots of information that's conveyed in gesture that sometimes is not conveyed in speech that people are missing.
0: Yeah, part of my part of my work is doing uh, communications training and, and public speaking training, and I use the concept of what I call um, meta communications. It's not just the words, but how the words are wrapped in what you're wearing, uh, the cologne or perfume that you're wearing, how your gestures are being done, the level of eye contact. Two seconds of eye contact, great. 20 seconds, creepy. So it is a question of how much subtle meanings we are losing when we don't really get the full body gesture of the person we're trying to communicate with.
1: Right, I agree with that. I think gesture is known as um, an expression of affect, attitude, my attitude toward me, toward you, toward my topic. But what we've been doing actually is showing that gesture not only is about the conversation, but it can convey parts of the conversation. And so we've looked at phenomena like uh, when children are learning math and they are expressing the strategy that they use to solve the problem. They may say one thing and in their hands do something else. So that, and, and that something else isn't really an attitude, it's a strategy. So they're really conveying two different strategies, one in hand, one in mouth. And if you can't see those hands, you're missing that information.
0: So unfortunately, the listeners to the podcast will just have to muddle along and do their best and assume they're getting the subtle communication cues that we're giving each other.
1: Right. That's right.
0: Well, I'd like to thank you for joining me. This has been Charles Blue with the Association for Psychological Science, and I have been talking with Dr. Susan Golden Meadow. Thank you for joining me.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thanks.